Man, good morning. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm just excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, Man, I love that psalm that says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord, because it's kind of me a lot of times. I just long for this, like through the week. Nobody? Cool. I do. Um, I don't know about you. Um, I just, there's nothing like being in God's house when God's in God's house. And um, man, just so good this morning to be here. We're going to be in Matthew 9. If you have your Bible, you're probably already there. If not, like I said, it'll be on the wall. Um, Anybody love pollen today? Thankful, um, thankful for pollen today. Thank you, Jesus, um, for um, all that. Uh, <laughs> you got to trust God with that, right? Like, he'll work all things together for the good. Not all things are good. He's talking about pollen there. Um, but, he, you know, he's doing something with pollen even. Um, but, man, so excited to be here this morning and to open this word with you. We're going to um, just continue talking about what we've been talking about the past few weeks. We've been in this series, But Go, and like you're going to be like, that's, that's a weird title. And it kind of is, but there's so many times through God's word that he says that to his people. But go. There's a situation, God shows up, he does a thing, and he always sends us out of that thing, and he always sends us out of that thing with a message. So we've been talking about this idea the past few weeks, and it's not a new idea, actually, if you've been to church more than probably one time ever, like in your whole life, you've, you've heard this before, that God intends for us to go. Thank you. We're, we're together. Thank you. I'm just needing some response today. I don't want to feel alone in this. Um, God intends for us to go. Like most of us have heard the, the Great Commission, right? Like the thing that Jesus says right before he like ascends into heaven. Hey, go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then um, teaching them everything that I've commanded you. I think probably all of us have at least heard that one time, and we've, if we've been around church very long, we've probably heard it a bunch of times, but how many of us have actually seen it? That's a real question for us to think about today. How many of us have actually seen this part of of God's word played out in the church. Like, we're okay with certain parts of it, right? Like, there's certain things that we're like, I know he says to do that, and I'm going to do that. And usually those are the easy, comfortable things for us to do. And we just kind of ignore the other parts. And to me, this seems like one of the most ignored parts of the Bible by the people that believe the Bible. There's a disconnect. And we've been talking about that disconnect, the the past few weeks, because here, here's the truth, and it's like the, the dirty secret in the church, I guess, is everybody knows this, and we never need to have another message on this is what we need to do. We've all heard it. Like, like We don't need more Matthew 28 messages where we all come around and we're like, we need to go make disciples, go make disciples. Because there's not a number of times that we're going to hear that and just be like, oh, this is the time. I was waiting on number 52, and here it is today. Number 52, I'm, I've heard it enough. I feel confident in this now. Because the problem is not that we don't know the command. It's that we're not comfortable right. with the command. Right. Anybody? No, I'm, I'm totally comfortable with that. I do it, all, I do it every day. 
which is cool. I'm going to come hang out with you because um, I don't believe you. Because <laughs> I've lived in Knoxville 32 years in my whole life. I've never had anybody walk up to me and say, hey, I just want to ask you, do you know Jesus? 32 years, right? There's, I don't know, 365 times 32, whatever that is. I've been here that long. It's a lot of days. Um, and I've just, I've never been asked that. And maybe some of you have, and maybe some, that was a negative experience, and I've seen that happen, I guess, but I've never seen it in a positive way. But I've been to church after church after church after church, and, and I've heard this message over and over and over and over and over again, and I've just never, I've never seen it. So the past few weeks, what I've been, I guess, trying to do is not so much talk about what we need to do, but but the reasons that we can, what God's calling us up to. And I'm going to try that, I think, one more week um, in Matthew 9. In uh, Matthew, it's, it's the gospel of Matthew or the gospel from Matthew's point of view. And it's basically the narrative story of Jesus' life as told by a disciple named Matthew that actually walked with Jesus. I, I love that today. Because what's amazing about that to me, there's this misconception, I think, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written like hundreds of years after Jesus died, and that's not true. Most of them are written by people that actually walked with Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and, and John. They, they were all disciples. And then, then you have um, Luke, who wasn't, but in the beginning of Luke, he says, hey, um, this is a compilation of eyewitness accounts in as best order as I could get them. All these stories aren't something that kind of had the telephone effect. Have you ever played that game where you like tell somebody and they pass it down the line and 92 people later it's a totally different story? That's not this. These are all eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life on, on this planet, which to me just is so much credibility to the story of what Jesus has done. And, and people see and they're like, well, this tells this story differently than this person does. And Maybe that's true. Um, I think maybe if you were to talk to me and John about band practice later, that me and John would both tell you a different story about band practice. It doesn't mean that neither of us were there. It just means we focus on different things. And that's what we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and John. And um, let me, I guess, just put it this way. They've been trying to tear this book down for over 2,000 years now, and they've not done it. So poke holes in it, but it's, you're just going to prove Jesus. So this morning, um, I don't know how we got there, sorry. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 9, and we're just going to talk about this story of what Jesus did and said in about the verse 35. On the way there, we see a couple of cool things that Jesus does. He actually calls Matthew to be a disciple. Wouldn't that be an amazing story to tell? Just write down in a book for people to read for thousands of years, like, hey, this is when Jesus called me. That's amazing. Um, and then we see Jesus traveling around, and he's teaching, and he's preaching, and he's healing, which is what Jesus does like a whole lot of the time through, throughout these books. And we get to 35, and it just kind of starts summing some of these up. And it says in 35, then Jesus went to all the towns and villages. Jesus in 35, not in this moment, but over a span of time, he had visited all the towns and villages in, in this area of Israel. Not some of the towns and some of the villages, but literally like the word all means all. Jesus went everywhere in, in this area. 
And, and I, when I saw this, I was like, towns and villages, does that sound redundant to you? Like when you read that, I think most of us just blow through that, and I usually just blow through that. But there has to be a reason they wrote both of those things down there. So I looked it up because I know how to Google stuff. You don't know how to Google stuff, come ask me later. I'm a, kind of an expert. You don't have to know everything anymore like you did like 60 years ago. Now you can just like look it up on the Internet, and it's pretty much all there. Um, but towns um, is kind of awesome. Towns... Uh, the difference in towns and villages is population. And a town has a population of between 1,000 and 20,000 people, so it's pretty big space. And a village is a smaller place. Anything under 1,000 people is considered a village. And when it says Jesus went to all the towns and villages, just basically what it's saying is Jesus went to all the places, all the big places Jesus went to and all the little places Jesus went to. Jesus didn't skip over a place because it only had 15 people in it. Jesus went to all the towns and villages. And maybe to you, that's not a big deal. But to me, I was like, man, that is amazing. Here's the son of God, right? He stepped out of heaven and he deserves a stage, right? Like the biggest Colosseum, like that's where Jesus should be preaching And he did that. He went to the big places where there were lots of people. But Jesus also took time to go to the small places where there were not very many people. And what we see in this few verses is Jesus isn't like coming down here to seek the spotlight and the stage. He's coming to tell a story. Jesus is coming to do a thing. And there was no place too little for the Son of God to show up. I don't say that again because that meant something to me. There was no place too little for the Son of God to show up. You ever heard somebody say, like, I don't want to pray about that. It seems too small. I don't want to bug God with that. First of all, your perspective of God is really messed up if you believe you're bugging God about anything. And then step two of that, that there's something so small God doesn't care about. He went to all the big things, right? But he also went to all the little things. I just want to say today, you're not too small for God to show up and talk to. You're not too unimportant or insignificant for God to show up and talk to. God, he wants to talk to important people, but he also wants to talk to us because we are important to God. And I love that when Jesus was here, they just write that in there in a little note for us. He went to all the big places, but he went to all the little places. Because I'm a pretty little place sometimes, right? Like I feel kind of unimportant sometimes. But God still wants and loves me because I'm important to God. And that's true for all of us. So it says, Jesus went to all the towns and the villages. And here's what he did when he was there. He was teaching in their synagogues. It's the places people would gather to talk about the what we would know as the Old Testament, basically. And he was preaching the good news of the kingdom. Jesus come, and he come with a goal, and that goal was to teach and to preach the good news of the kingdom. When Jesus went to all these places, Jesus went to all these places with a purpose. And the purpose was what? The good news. What's the literal translation of gospel? The good news, the gospel carried the gospel to all the towns and the villages. Isn't that amazing? Like Jesus went and he went with a purpose. And the purpose wasn't just to show up and be like, hey, I'm Jesus, you should worship me. It was to say, hey, you know that Messiah God's been talking about for a really long time? Yeah, that Messiah rolled up in town today and he's setting up a kingdom. And anybody that wants can be part of the kingdom. That's pretty amazing that Jesus did that. So he showed up in all these towns and every town he went, he had one purpose and that purpose was to share the gospel. 
And it says, after that, right, he also healed every disease and every sickness. Now, we can read that two ways. He either literally healed every person in every single town, which would mean like Matthew 10 would get kind of interesting because what we're going to see is Jesus is going to keep healing people. And if he's already healed all the people, why does he need to heal more people? Or what it probably literally means is Jesus healed all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. Jesus healed every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Nothing's out of the reach of God. Nothing's impossible with God. There's not one sickness or disease that Jesus doesn't have power over, that Jesus can't do something about. Not one thing Jesus can't do something about. I, lo- I love that this morning. I feel like I'm alone today. Like I'm just, turn the lights off, Tommy. I, don't, I can't hear anybody anyway. No, like, isn't that amazing? There's not one thing that Jesus can't fix today. There's not one thing you're struggling with or dealing with today that the Son of God can't interact with this morning. There's nothing off the table for Jesus. There's nothing out out of bounds for Jesus. Like he literally can do anything about anything. And I think we forget that sometimes because like we live in the I can do it all myself kind of bubble. And what our first response to every problem is, is let me figure out this problem and then let me try to fix this problem. And if if we can't do it, maybe eventually we'll get around to prayer. But then if God doesn't do it in like the next 30 seconds, what we've determined is that just God's not going to do it. But what we see is there's a God on the page of the Bible written by an eyewitness that has the ability to heal every disease and sickness. That this Jesus that we're talking about is, is a God who is a miracle worker. That he's a God who can do something about the struggles and the issues and the problems in our life. And there's nothing out of bounds and out of the limits for Jesus. And I just want to like remind us of that today. Because I think in the church we've forgotten that, that our God is a God who is a miracle worker. Our God is a God who does the impossible things. It actually says that with men, all things, or with men, this thing is impossible, right? But with God, nothing is impossible. That's what it says in the Word of God. So those people we're praying for today, like nothing is impossible with God. I just want to throw that out there. And those situations we're praying for today, like nothing is impossible with God. I just want to say that over us. Like those things that we've been kind of digging in for months maybe, or toiling in for months maybe, and we feel like God is not going to do a thing here. It's possible that God will do a thing here. You should never, ever count God out. Actually, every time we should always count God in because God has ability and he works and moves in ways that we can't even comprehend. He's the guy who breathed out the stars. And nothing is impossible with God. And we, we look at this story, and it starts out, and he's like, hey, I just want you to know, um, Jesus went everywhere, and he talked to all people, all kinds of people, every different look of people, and every different sounding people. And he went to all the towns and the villages. He talked to important people, and he talked to people nobody would notice maybe sometimes. He went to the big places and the little places. And number one on the agenda was the gospel. Because here's the truth today. I just want to throw this out there. The biggest problem the world has today is a spiritual problem. Third world countries, biggest problem we got today is a spiritual problem. 
People need to eat. I get that. And we should feed people. That's, the church has the ability to do that. If we all just would give a little, God would do a lot. That's the power of the church. That's why he knit us together, because we're stronger that way. The world could change if the church would change. But even in all that, the, the biggest problem in that country is still not there's not enough beans. It's, there's a spiritual issue. The biggest problem in America today is a spiritual problem. Rich countries, poor countries, it's all the same. Countries where God is on, written in the courthouses and God's never spoken about. The problem is all the same. The biggest problem is a spiritual problem. And he went to the most religious people on the planet and he still offered before anything else the gospel. Because here's the reality today. We can die with a whole lot of money and a whole lot of stuff and we can die with full bellies, but we're still going to die. And at the end of that, at the end of all of our lives, we got one of two options, and it's we go be with God or we don't. And Jesus came to make an open door so that every person could leave this place and step into eternity with God. He didn't come to make us good people, and he didn't come to make us rich people. He came to make us God's people. So when Jesus walked into a town, he was going to do some things when he was there. He was going to heal people of all different diseases. He was going to touch people that have never seen, and he was going to open their eyes. But before he ever did that, what he was going to do is he was going to walk in and say, Hey, I just need you to know today, the gospel has rolled into town. And heaven is open, and anything is possible with God. Now where are your sick people at? And then Jesus went in, and people that have never walked before. Can you imagine, like, never walked, like, maybe 40, 50 years, and my legs have never moved. People still sitting around and thinking, oh, I believe that this guy's going to walk. There was nobody on the planet thinking, old Jim's going to get up and walk across the room. Except for Jesus. And Jesus walked in and he said, hey, maybe everybody else has forgotten and maybe everybody else has given up. But I just want to say to you today, get up, take up your mat and go on down the road. And you know what happened every time Jesus said that? Jim got up and he rolled up his bed and he went home because that's what happens with God. So Jesus does care about our physical issues and problems and sicknesses and heartaches and struggles. He cares about all that stuff. But the gospel is the centerpiece today. And all those things are the rings around the target. So it says Jesus went to all the towns and villages and he was teaching in the synagogues and he was preaching the good news of the kingdom and he was healing every kind of disease and sickness and then look at this in 36 I have old people uh, sorry this is a really small print it says when he saw the crowds the people when he saw the crowds or the people not just like Hey, there's a lot of people here, but hey, I'm looking at you. I'm, I'm looking at you. When Jesus saw the people in the crowds, not I noticed you, but man, I'm staring at you. And he saw the way they lived, and he saw what they were dealing with and struggling with. When he, when he interacted with the people, and he saw the people, and he, and he got familiar with the people... It says he felt something. 
Jesus felt when he saw. And I think what he feels may be shocking for all of us because just to put this in perspective for you, this is God, the creator of heaven and earth. And you're like, no, that's the Father. No, go read Colossians. Go read John 1. Go read Romans 11. Jesus is the active voice of creation, and we see that throughout the Bible, that when there was a let there be light, those words were said and spoken by Jesus. And he's God just like the Father is God, just like the Holy Spirit is God. He's not some lesser diminished form. He's, he's God. And he looks at these people, these people that have had the most revelation of who God is on the planet, but there is a disconnect in the revelation in their lives. And he sees a people who, yes, are religious, but are, are very far from God in their hearts. And he sees how they're living. They, they, they go to synagogue, that's where Jesus is preaching the gospel, but he sees what they're doing in the streets. And remember, the, the God that sees their sin is the God standing in front of them. The one who has been transgressed against is standing there in front of the transgressors. And it says when God sees the people, he feels something. And I th think what he feels would be shocking to us because what it says he feels is not anger. When Jesus saw the people, he felt anger. If you have that translation, we need to see each other later. When God sees the people, he, he feels wrath. Do you have that in yours? When God sees the people, he, he feels judgment or condemnation. None of, none of those words are in there. It says, when he saw the crowds, he felt... Say it with me, compassion. Compassion, we have the definition for that, I think, back there. I think I got a thumbs up, it's dark. Um, compassion is sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. He felt concern, he felt pity when he saw the people and he saw how they live. Sympathetic pity and concern is what he saw, even when he saw their sin. I'm, I'm going to rewind because that's actually really good. Sympathetic pity and concern is what Jesus felt when he saw their sin. Isn't that crazy? Is that like semi-shocking to anyone? Because that's the gospel. It really is. But I've lived in the church for 32 years and I don't see a whole lot of us that feel the same way. 
when we see people. I've had and been part of conversations, shame on me, that have been, you know what blah, blah, blah is doing? You need to pray for hmm because fill in the gap. When we see the people, we jump to anger or wrath or condemnation or judgment. We look at, I'm going to just say lost people, and you can say, well, they go to church and they shouldn't be living like that. Well, if they act like lost people, maybe they are. You don't know. There's not a blood test. Just because they have baptism certificate hanging up somewhere doesn't mean anything. But, like, is that what God has called us to? Is, is the church been sent out as God's police force in the world? We, we read the Great Commission like this sometimes. Go and judge some people. Make sure they know they're sinners. And then when they feel real bad about it because you've beat them down, Maybe they'll get saved. And I've never read that. And I've never seen it modeled for me. Because Jesus never did that. Actually, the only time we ever see Jesus talk harshly to people is when religious people get it wrong. Woman at the well, woman caught in adultery, and on and on and on and on. That's never the attitude. But the Pharisees roll up and they're like, hey, we better stone this woman. She's pretty bad. That's what seems to get Jesus upset. (laughs) And he looks at these people, and, and I love that Matthew wrote this down for us, who he's like standing in front of people that sinned against him. We, we could see this again reflected when Jesus is on the cross and the people that nailed him, he looks them right in the eye and he says, hey, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Compassion on the cross and compassion in these moments. And it says that Jesus had compassion on them. Here's why. Because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks at him and he, he says, I know why they're acting the way they're acting. Newsflash today, lost people act lost. Reason today, because they're lost. Is that shocking to anyone? 
Lost people act lost because they're lost. And Jesus looks at these people who are acting lost. And he says, I know what the issue is here. They don't have a shepherd. They don't have a master. I think Darren quotes it all the time in Judges. It says they did what was right in their own eyes. That's what happens when we don't have a master and a shepherd. We just do what feels good. We do what seems right. Because there's nobody in our life to tell us that it's not. It's the condition of the human heart. Actually, it even writes in the Bible about us. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Sometimes even for us, we just act like sheep that don't have a master. And we wander away. Yet when people act lost, we want to jump to judgment. And that's not what God has called us to. And it's not what we've even seen modeled. What we see modeled is compassion because the issue is not our actions. The issue is our heart. The actions are the symptoms. The issue is the heart. And he looks at these people and he's like, I know what's going on and it breaks my heart because they don't have a, a shepherd. Not it makes me angry, it breaks my heart. Jesus looks at people without Jesus and it breaks his heart because they don't have a shepherd. And then he looks at his disciples and he says this like crazy thing. He says, The harvest is abundant. Looking at all these towns, all these people, all these different situations, all these different lifestyles, and he looks at his disciples and he says, The harvest is abundant. Do you see it? The harvest is abundant. There are a lot of people over there that are just ready. But then he says this he says, But the workers. Are few. I find this kind of amazing because who's going to all the towns and villages preaching the gospel? We we get it in 35, right? Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom. And he had 12 spectators. He had 12 fans. He had 12 people that were there to cheer him on, but 12 people that were not involved. And then the one who's involved looks at these 12 guys, probably like, hey, man, there's a lot of harvest over there. But there's not many workers.
So in 38, he says, because of this, therefore, pray. We've been preaching all the messages wrong. He didn't say, therefore, go figure it out. He didn't say, therefore, get obedient. He says, therefore, pray. Now, we look at that and we're like, that's not doing anything. It's not doing anything. Most of us gave up on real prayer years ago. And we do these little nods to God, right? Hey, thanks for waking me up this morning. Hey, thanks for my subway. Hey, thanks for getting me through the day. But like real passionate, full of compassion, miracle, moving prayer, we, we decided God didn't do that anymore. But Jesus believes in it because he's talking about it. And he says to these guys, we got an issue. There's a lot of people that need the gospel. There's not many people sharing the gospel. It's the same story today, right? Like, we don't have to get out of Knoxville. A lot of people need the gospel, but there's not a lot of people sharing the gospel. It's, we're, we're living in these moments today. There's a lot of people that probably wouldn't take a whole lot to move, actually, from death to life. They're just waiting for somebody to say how, because why? They're weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. They're tired of living the way they're living. They just want somebody to tell them there's another way to live. They're tired of living directionlessly. They're just waiting for somebody to point them in a direction. And Jesus looks at these guys and he doesn't say, hey, go figure it out. Or, hey, let me preach Matthew 28 to you some more because we haven't got there yet. He doesn't do any of that. He says, let's, let's do something today. Let's, let's pray. Before we do anything else, let's stop and let's put some power behind everything that might happen in these moments. Let's get down in a position where there's some real possibility and let's let God do some work in us. He says, therefore, pray. And what does he say to pray? Pray to what? The Lord of the harvest. I love this because God doesn't identify himself here as the Lord of the harvesters, does he? He's like, I'm doing something over there. Isn't that amazing? God's like, oh yeah, I'm the God out there too. I'm not the God over here in our huddle, although I'll be God there too. I'm doing something out there. So Jesus says, why don't, why don't you pray to the Lord of the harvest, the guy who's the God over those people too, who wants them, who wants to be their God. Why don't you pray to that God? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And here's what we're asking for today. That he might send workers out into the harvest. That God might send workers out into the harvest. He doesn't even look at them and say, hey, why don't you pray you're the workers? He didn't say, hey, God, send me. Hey, God, why don't you pray? Hey, God, get me up out of my chair. Why don't you? He doesn't say any of that. 
Hey, God, help me to be more obedient. He doesn't say any of that. Hey, God, help me to take your word seriously. He doesn't say any of that. He says, let me just pray to God for a minute. Why don't we get down in a position of possibility and let's talk to heaven for a moment and let's remind ourselves who God is the God of and what God's doing and what God wants to do. Here's the truth. God's not only working in buildings with steeples on them today. God's not only working when we get the the song set kind of linked out the way it needs to be. And he's not only working when there's a guy on stage with an open Bible saying some words. God was working way before the church got here. And he's going to be working way after the church leaves here. Because that's who God is. And it's what he does. And he doesn't need our walls and our music and our buildings and our preaching. He doesn't need any of that. Thank God he uses it. But God's doing things today all over this planet. And he says, when you pray, I want you to remember that I'm that God. I want you to remember that I'm the God who's concerned about the people over there. I want you to remember that I'm the God who who knows and loves and made every person that's ever here. I knit every one of them together in their mother's womb. And I care about every one of them. I'm not just working around you. I'm working everywhere. So when you pray, let's remember that. But when you pray, here's here's what I want you to pray. When you talk to the Lord of the harvest, here's here's what I want you to pray. You pray that God will send people out into the harvest. Can I be honest with you today? That's so important. Because if, if, if some preacher sends you out into the harvest, you're not going to be worth a thing. That's true today. How do I know that? Because preachers have been preaching this for 32 years during my life. And I've got up and I've thought, man, that's right. We need to do that. But I'm still standing here. Because man can't send man. If we're going to be sent out of this place with any kind of power, we got to be sent out of this place by the Lord of the harvest. So he looks at these guys and he says, hey, this is going to be rough. We're, we're just in Matthew 9. We are chapters away from 28. I'm going to let you in on a secret. In 28, they didn't just leave that mountain and go start sharing the story. But there's a moment we read about a couple weeks ago in Acts 2 where God set down some fire and he sent out a church. And it all started with them sitting around in a room praying. God, we got to see you move we got to see you do something. So today, what I don't want you to hear from me is get on out there and figure it out. What I want us to hear together is we got some praying to do. 
that for some of us today, we need to, A, realize there are people out there. There's, there's a reason he sequences the story as it is sequenced. What's the first thing Jesus does? He sees. And then he has compassion. And then he sins. And today, for some of us, maybe we just need to get in the place where we realize there are a lot of people today that aside from miraculous intervention from God are leaving this world and they're leaving without him. Wouldn't that be a shame when God put a church here to tell some stories about a savior? Wouldn't that be a shame if if your coworkers left this planet and they were headed towards eternity without God and headed into hell? But God put a you there at your work. Wouldn't it be a shame if our family members left this planet apart from God, but he put us in a family? Wouldn't it be a shame if if we watched this city crumble and decay and, and people left this planet without God and he put us right here in the middle of it? So what we gotta do before anything else is we gotta see there are people today that aside from us will leave this planet without God. And until we see that, we're not gonna want to see anybody saved. If I'm sitting on my couch eating Cheetos and you don't think I'm in danger, you're not going to call 911 if we don't really believe that when we leave this place apart from God, we enter eternity without God, we're not going to try to do a thing. Heaven is real, and just like heaven is real, so is hell. People that know Jesus will spend eternity with Jesus, and people that do not will spend eternity without, and that's Bible truth today. We got a message. But then when we see those people, what we have to do is we got to drop the judgment and the condemnation and the anger and the wrath at the door. You got to drop your I'm God's police force badge before you walk out of this room today. And you got to realize we are all standing in the bread line waiting on mercy today. I'm not a good person. I'm just a person who knows Jesus. And so are you. And so are they. Once we see it and we're in that place, what we got to do is we got to pray. God, I need you to send some people. God, there's an issue out there. There's a world that's going to hell. They don't have you. They, they don't know you. And, and I know you. And I know others know you. And you got to send some of us out there. You got to get us out there. And then you let God send Because when you get up under the power of a mission that God stamped on your heart, you can't stop and you can't quit. What we need to know today when we leave this place is not Brad says we need to go to the people, but God says we need to go to the people. What we need to know when we leave this place is not overflow supposed to care about the people at the Walmart, but God cares about the people at the Walmart. What we need to know today before we walk in a hospital room and offer somebody the gospel is that God cares about them, not that we do. 
Because that is the shift. That's the perspective change today that the church needs. Because until we get there, until we get down on our knees in the position of possibility and we cry out to God, I see there's an issue and I know, God, you want to do something about the issue. So, God, you send people and you let God take care of the sending. we can see a city changed, but beyond that, we can see a world changed, not because of a person or a building, but because God is the Lord of the harvest, and he's doing things in the world, and he's just inviting us to be part of it. So today, um, I want to ask you to do something a little different. We've got some space down here. just going to take Jesus's words. He's inviting us this morning to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers. Because here's the secret today, the harvest, it's abundant. We don't need to pray, God, send us lost people. We need to pray, God, send some people too, the lost people.